Today's scripture comes from book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Like to follow along your bulletins or the screen above uh, or your mobile devices. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking such things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is word of God. Good morning. Good morning, New Mercy. For those of you who may not know me, I'm Lisa, part of the pastoral staff here. Um, It's good to be here. Um, It's even better to um, have my husband back. (laughs) Um, We went to pick him up um, at the airport yesterday. Um, And just hearing some of their stories, I just got a small glimpse. Um, but it was, really, it was so awesome. And I hope some of you guys will um, be able to ask them. And um, I can't wait for the um, report when they give their report um, in a couple weeks. But, um, but unfortunately, my husband is leaving again soon <laughs> this week um, to Ivory Coast. And he's taking Micah with him. But um, my second son, Micah, and I know they're going to have like a food um, um, thing later, so I hope you guys will support them um, to raise funds. But um, yeah, let's pray and we'll get started here. Thank you, Lord, for this um, awesome opportunity to just hear from you, to um, listen to your word, and um, most of all, to meet with you, Lord. I pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us today. We pray that um, we'd be open to what you would have us to learn. And most of all, Lord God, would you um, show us our heart? Would you show us what we need? Would you show us, Lord God, um, who you are and um, why you came? We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I wanted to start off um, my sermon today by talking about two events that happened this week. Um, 
Two events that drew huge crowds. One happened this past Thursday evening and the other happened on Saturday. Um, so I'm sure many of you heard about this new crazy app, Pokemon Go, right? <laughs> um, uh, this app was only released July 6th, believe it or not, so it's been roughly about 11 days. Um, and it's already amassed over 15 million downloads. And according to the Today Show, they say that the app is earning approximately $1.5 million a day. It's kind of outrageous, right? Um, and I saw on the news this past Thursday, the crowd that it drew, um, I'm not sure if you guys know how it's played, but you basically walk around with your phone and you catch Pokemon. But anyway, um, this past Thursday evening, 11 p.m., in Central Park, there was a rare sighting of a Pokemon. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Um, Vapor Thank you, Vaporeon. <laughs> People knew. Vaporeon. And it was reported that it basically started a stampede in, um, in Central Park. Um, so to the point that people were jumping out of their car with the car still running to try to get the Pokemon. That's how crazy it is, and people are going crazy, right? Um, so that's one event um, that happened Thursday. And the other event is this past Saturday, actually. This past Saturday in D.C., in D.C., at, um, you know, I'm from the Virginia, D.C. area, uh, in a place called The Mall, that's basically the space between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Memorial, that big reflection pool. So um, in that space, there was an event this past Saturday called Together 2016. This was planned months in advance, but it actually was something that I think was very timely. Um, it, the purpose of the event was basically to have a one-day large, large prayer meeting. They wanted to have at least one million people at the mall this past Saturday. Um, I don't know if they got that many events. I heard that um, part of the um, event had to be canceled early just because people were suffering from heat stroke and things like that. But they, if you see the pictures, there were hundreds of thousands of people gathered this past Saturday, 2016, and it was barely in the news. Did you guys? I, I feel like I saw more snippets about the Vaporeon than I did about this Together 2016. If you look at the website for Together 2016, basically um, it was 40 speakers and um, various Christian artists. Um, some names you might recognize like um, Francis Chan, Ravi Zacharias, uh, Carrie Job, um, Hillsongs United, they were all there for this giant prayer meeting. Their tagline for the event was asking Jesus to reset our generation. And they used that specific word, reset, because when you think to yourself, for example, I'm like so not tech savvy. So usually when something goes wrong with my phone or my computer, my husband just, when she just rolls his eyes and says, just turn it off and then turn it back on and it should be okay. And usually it works. But um, so this idea of resetting, it's, they write, because a reset clears the past errors and gets the system working towards its created purpose. So tens of thousands of people were gathered to pray to reset their life, 
reset the nation and to reset this generation. It was powerful stuff. If you see some of the clips or some of the live feeds, it's people praying, people just praying for this nation. As you guys know, you know, as soon as um, the India team stepped off the plane, they're like, this is, what is going on? There's such craziness, all these shootings, this um, crazy thing in Turkey, this military coup, the shootings in Dallas, the, um, you know, the terrorist attack in France, what's going on? And um, basically chaos, right? Um, But Um, these huge crowds are being drawn, one for this crazy fad, one to pray. Um, And this is what I wanted to talk about today is Jesus was drawing crowds. Jesus was drawing huge crowds. This was the beginning of his ministry. Um, As Joe just read in the passage, people were coming left and right. Jesus was healing people from physical ailments, driving out demons Um, in the passage right before what we read today. um, He had just healed a leper. And at that time, leprosy was like the most contagious, dreaded disease out there. And so for Jesus to heal a leper, it was big news. And so people were coming and his popularity was growing. And in fact, verse 2 says, so many people were gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And so that's where we find Jesus. He's preaching, he's preaching the good news, and people are coming, and it's crowded. Today, for this sermon, I wanted to look at Jesus' interaction with three people. One group of people were the four friends that brought the crippled, the paralytic man. One is the paralytic man, and the last is the um, scholars or teachers of the law. So first, let's look at the friends, the four friends that brought this paralytic man. Um, Verse 4 says, since they could not get their friend to Jesus because of the crowd, essentially they came up with their own creative solution, right? They thought outside the box. What they decided to do was literally take their friend up to the roof, dig through the roof, and drop him down right in front of Jesus. At this time... um, the way the houses were built, it was basically only one story, one story building. Um, the roofs were flat. It's not like we see here where the roofs are slanted. The roofs were flat, and the roofs were basically accessible through stairs on the outside. So these four friends, think to yourself, not only carried their friend from the house, from the um, paralyzed man's house, to um, this house where Jesus was preaching. But not only that, up the stairs, (laughs) dig through the roof, and down. Kind of crazy, right? I was thinking to myself as I read this, wow, that took a lot of work for those friends. It must have not been easy at all, making that opening, carrying their friend around, I don't know if you've ever carried someone like on a pallet or, or even like on a stretcher. Um, it's hard. <laughs> it's not easy. And especially carrying someone on the incline someplace is even harder. And then literally digging through a roof. Um, it was most likely made out of thatch and branches and mud, so they literally had to dig through the roof to bring him down. But 
it took a lot of work, essentially. But how many times, think to yourself, do we put any effort or quote unquote inconvenience into our relationship with God and our relationship with others? How many times do we say to ourselves, well, that's not really convenient. So, oh well. Literally for some of us, it could mean snoozing one less time in the morning in order to do our quiet time. It could mean putting down your device or not playing Pokemon Go for 15 minutes in order to pray for your friend who's going through a hard time. It could mean waking up 30 minutes earlier just to make it to church on time. It could mean watching one less episode of your favorite drama the night before. It could mean coming home at a reasonable hour the night before church in order to wake up on time, right? Those little things, quote unquote, so inconvenient and yet we're unwilling to do. Most of us would never think twice about being late for work. It would be unheard of. But yet, why do we do that for God when we're meeting God? You know, I don't want to make anyone, you know, feel guilty or anything like that. I don't even know who walked in late or whatever. I walked in late, actually. Um, But literally, service is not just listening to someone talk up here. It's everything. It's the praise songs. It's even the announcements. It's even um, at the end, the benediction. That's all part of worshiping God. How much effort do we put into meeting God? How many times do we just give up because it's inconvenient? So think to yourself, these four men, they chose to take their friend very deliberately um, and help him. They went the extra mile. They carried him not just to that door, but up to the roof and down through it. And so I truly believe it was these four friends, their faith, along with the man, so all five of them, that was able to help this um, paralytic man walk again. There's a reason why King David said in the Old Testament he was basically wanting to buy a plot of land for the temple he was going to build. The man who who he was going to buy it from heard that it was King David who wanted it, and he said, King David, I'll just give it to you. It's my gift to you. And King David, you know what he said back? He said, I will not offer God anything that costs me nothing. He had the heart of giving all to God, even though it was inconvenient. I always joke a lot of times at my house, I'm into, um, I used to love that show, um, Semi-Homemade. I don't know if you guys know that show. It's like, um, it's not like the best recipes, but I loved it because it was quick. They gave you like really quick 
recipes that were halfway decent and you know you can kind of tweak it or whatever but um, one of the recipes I remember seeing on there was ribs and I was like you know I have a big family they like ribs let me try this one of the tricks they taught was and probably Eugene and John would be horrified at this but boil the ribs first till they're cooked and then finish it off in the oven with barbecue sauce and I was like wow it saves so much time it's going to be awesome it wasn't <laughs> It wasn't at all. Um, there's something about taking time to cook it. It tastes so different. It tastes so different than putting it hours in the oven or on your grill for hours. There's something about putting in that extra effort, that time to make it taste good. I really believe God, the relationship with God is the same way. There are no shortcuts. Our relationship with God is worth it to, quote-unquote, marinate. We need to put in that time with him. If you'll notice in the passage, the friends who went the extra mile, they were blessed also. Notice how Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Hey, what are you doing? You just ruined that guy's roof. He doesn't get mad at them for interrupting the sermon. When if, like, uh, Nora ran in here, oh, mama, I need something. <laughs> I need a dollar for the Coke machine. I would probably be mad at her, right? But the, Jesus doesn't get mad. Can you imagine what it must have been like for that man and the friends to be dangling from the ceiling, everyone staring at him? Um, I'm sure they all knew <laughs> that Jesus would help them. So funny. <laughs> they knew, his friends knew that he was the answer to his friend's problem. They had to get their friend to Jesus, no matter the cost. And so verse 5 says, Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't just his faith. It was their faith. They had helped but also they were blessed because they were able to see the miracle and also hear the message that Jesus had for this man. Think to yourself, do I have these kind of friends in my faith community who will go the extra mile for me so I can meet Jesus, who will take that extra time, who will carry me when I'm having a hard time, do I have those types of friends? And on the flip side, am I that kind of friend? Who would be willing to go the extra mile? Who would be willing to carry someone? Who'd be willing to go beyond what's inconvenient so that my friend can meet Jesus? This is where I must, must mention the prayer ministry team. <laughs> As you guys know, New Mercy has a prayer ministry team. Many times you'll hear it mentioned at the end of service when, when the pastor says, and if anyone wants prayer, please sit over there and someone will come pray with you, right? And probably that's like the, all you um, know about it, and you just kind of walk out in service and, oh, no one's there, oh well. Um, but New Mercy has a prayer ministry team, and Believe it or not, this is why we're here. We are here to help carry you, to help walk with you, 
during your times of struggles. We are here to point you to Jesus, to pray with you, to help you when you need it. Please, please take advantage. In fact, for myself, I don't know how many times over the four years prayer ministry has blessed me so much. I mean, honestly, if you ask the team, half the time we're just praying for each other. Um, and just honestly so, so blessed by it. Especially for me this past um, couple weeks, I just found out a couple weeks ago that my older sister um, was diagnosed with cancer. And it was such a crazy um, blow to our family, and we we're just so um, worried and but yet prayerful. And honestly, the first people that I wanted to email and tell were the prayer ministry team because I knew that they would pray for me. They wouldn't just say, oh, Lisa, I'm so sorry, I'll, I'll pray for you, and then forget about it the next day. I honestly trusted them to pray for me, to help me during this time. And I was just so, so blessed by them. And so think to yourself, when you have some kind of burden, when you, have, when you need someone to ask for prayer, develop that community around you it's basically, if you don't do it, it's like the paralytic man trying to get to Jesus on his own. It would have been virtually impossible. He needed those four friends to carry him. In the same way, that is what the prayer ministry and this community should be about. To help carry each other. To help bring each other to Jesus when we need it. To point us in the right direction. So next time you have a prayer request, please take advantage. After the service, sit, sit there and someone will pray for you. Or, I don't know if you know, there's actually on the website a tab you can click and write in a prayer request. We don't get them too often, but when it does come, we take it seriously. Please take advantage. The second group or the second person I wanted to look at in this passage was the paralytic man himself. What can we learn from him? Can you imagine just the trust and humility it took for the man to ask for help? We don't know from the Bible if it was the man's idea, oh, I really want to see this guy Jesus, will you please help me? Or if it was the friend's idea, oh, we, we heard that someone is healing people. You must go. Let us take you. Please, please, please come with us. We don't know if it was that way or the other way. But all we know is that it took a lot of humility and trust for him to be carried on that pallet the whole way. He was basically at their complete mercy when they were dropping him from the ceiling. So how many times do you think he wanted to give up on the process, all along that process? How many times do you think he was feeling, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for asking them to do this for me? Do you think it was while they're struggling to carry him from his house to where Jesus is preaching? Or do you think it was that time when they first come approaching the house and they're like, wow, there's a lot of people here. There's no way that we're going to see Jesus. Do you think the man was like, oh, well, forget it. Let's go. Or do you think it was when he, they got up to the roof 
oh my gosh, you're going to have to destroy this God's, guy's house. Forget it. Let's go. Or maybe the moment when he was being dropped and he realizes for the first time, I just interrupted Jesus in the middle of his sermon and everyone is quiet and staring at me now. Do you think he said, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, forget it. Just take me back out. No, of course not. Maybe it was in the back of his mind, but what was in the forefront was, I need to get to Jesus. He is where I can get healing. I must get to him, and that was on his mind. So what do you think he thought when the first thing Jesus, instead of rebuking or anything like that, says, son, your sins are forgiven. No mention of healing whatsoever, but instead, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, the man had a choice right then and there. He could believe what Jesus had just told him and get up, or he could have just stayed there, sat down and not done anything. Because you see, during this time, it was believed that any kind of physical ailment or physical deformity even was a direct result of your parents' sin or your sin. Guilt and shame could have kept that man sitting there on the mat or the fear of what if could have kept them there, but it didn't. Because you see, Jesus was offering him something that was a real miracle, even more than his physical healing. During this time, forgiveness of sin was a huge ceremony. You guys, for, for those of you who know the Old Testament, it's kind of crazy what you had to go through in order to be forgiven your sins. You had to bring a specific animal at a specific time and cut it in a specific way and then you were ceremonially clean. And those were the rules. However, there was one rule that applied to this man that really was the stickler. And that was the rule that any kind of person with a physical deformity or any kind of um, unhealthy type of thing could not enter the temple. Therefore, this man was restricted from any kind of religious community whatsoever. He could not be cleansed ritually because of his paralytic, because of his health, basically. And most likely because he's paralyzed, he was poor and most likely a beggar. So he wouldn't have been able to work. He was most likely isolated. Um, ostracized from the community. But what does Jesus say? Jesus sees his real need, and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Even the fact that Jesus calls him son is significant. Jesus is reestablishing for him a family of faith for this paralytic man. He had not been able to be part of a community for who knows how long. And now Jesus is welcoming him in by calling him son. 
And for the first time, this man is able to be clean. Jesus is saying, God forgives you of your sins. It's amazing to him. And all the man had to do was get up, pick up his mat, and go home. Do you think the man would have been forgiven of his sins if he had just still sat there? I had to wrestle with this question. Honestly, I think yes, simply because Jesus said your sins are forgiven. However, I really think that it was that act of getting up that activated the faith. That is when we go from just theory of, yes, I believe, to actual saving faith. It's like the idea of, yes, I think that's a chair. I believe it's a chair. It looks like a chair. Yeah, that's a chair. But it isn't until I actually sit in it myself where I'm putting faith in action. Yes, that is a chair because I am sitting in it and trusting it to hold my weight. That is saving faith. For this man, he had to literally get up. He couldn't allow his doubt, his shame, his um, questioning of, is this true, Um, to affect that simple action of getting up. But how many of us do that sometimes? We think to ourselves, yes, yes, I believe, I believe, but we never put it into action. How many times have you heard in sermons, even um, last week, Pastor Key saying, I want New Mercy to be a church that prays, yes. And we're all probably thinking in our mind, yes, prayer works, I believe, yes. But how many of us actually pray when something comes up? How much effort or you know, time do we put in it, into it if we really believe that it works? And I feel like that's the same way with this man. He needed to get up to activate that faith. And for us as well, you know, figuratively, we need to get up to activate our faith. Do not stay where you are. Pick up your mat. Get up. I say new mercy. And I speak to myself as well, of course. Lastly, let's look at the teachers of the law. What can we learn? Ironically, these men say correctly, theologically correctly, who can forgive sins but God alone? That is true. However, the problem was that they thought they already knew the answer. They only had the Sunday school answer that was taught to them long time ago. And it relied on tradition more than faith, more than relationship. Jesus literally had to deconstruct their thinking simply by revealing his authority over the physical healing. He said, I have authority to tell this man, get up. And he did. And that proved to the teachers of the law that he also had spiritual authority to forgive sins. 
these teachers of the law dismissed their own spiritual need for forgiveness of sins and instead emphasized correct theology rather than the condition of their heart. And how many times have we done the same in this situation as well? Where we focus on doing and ceremony rather than relationship with God. But before we're quick to judge these teachers of the law, think about how many times we have seen our own spiritual need. How many times have we self um, assessed ourselves in terms of spiritual need? I think many of us would act a lot differently if we truly saw the condition of our own hearts. This idea of what is it we truly need? Some of us, you know, we, we get all kinds of prayer requests. I talk to people, and they want to pray for many, many things, and those are all legitimate. I don't want to minimize anyone's needs or prayer requests. I have needs. I have prayer requests. And I know the Lord does not minimize them or, you know, push them aside. Oh, that's not important, Lisa. I know God doesn't do that. But God first addresses what we need most, and that is our spiritual need, the need to understand our spiritual condition. Forgiveness of sins is the greatest miracle that happened that day. The physical healing was just an added bonus. God wants to meet our greatest need by restoring our relationship with him. And that comes at a great cost. Jesus died on the cross to restore our relationship. He saw our greatest need, and he went and fulfilled it. So I'd say to you, to mercy, back to that um, description of together 2016 I mentioned earlier on. This was a giant prayer meeting to basically show the world we have a sin problem. The things that are going on in this world, it is a sin problem of people acting out their sinful nature. And Jesus is the only solution to that. And so I say, New Mercy, let's reset. Reset ourselves. Reset our church, reset this generation as Together 2016 called for. We must pray for our spiritual condition. God wants to address it today. So let's pray together.